Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where we don't say NFT. I'm Donnie Clutterbuck, and I'll be your host. Welcome to Don't Say NFT, the show where I was the first person to say NFT. Um, I, I didn't have my hand on the soundboard at the time, so I couldn't do it. And I'm glad nobody else did because that stuff gets really annoying very quickly. I'd like to take a brief moment to thank Crypto Sapiens, the podcast network, as well as Bankless Dow. So anyway, here we go. Today's episode is on ownership, and the concept of ownership is something that got me into the blockchain space to begin with. Um, well, my 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 girlfriend's ex-boyfriend got me into the blockchain space, but he was talking about XRP one day because he was one of those people who's like, it's going to 10K. And I was like, sounds like a scam. I'm going to buy some anyway, screw it, because, you know, it's, a, it's nothing ventured, nothing gained, and why not? YOLO, once in a while. So I started doing a bunch of reading on what cryptocurrency was, and it eventually led me down to the kind of bare bones concept of eliminating middlemen and the both solutions and problems that come with that. And I think we don't talk as much about the problems as we do about the solutions in this space. So I wanted to dedicate a full hour to talking about both. I think it's very important. So what does ownership even mean? I think there are two general categories and two categories within the second one that we can dive into. And I'd like to just lay it out and see who wants to go where with it, but I'm going to overview it real quick. So to start out, there's two categories. One category is quote unquote owning something like um, making payments on it. You have it. It's your car. But like, is it really your car? Uh, because while a bank is keeping your money in between you giving it to the car person and not, or maybe the bank is the car person that you're paying for it, they're also holding a lien, which is another style of third-party item altogether on that vehicle because it can be repoed uh, because you don't own it, right? But even when you do own something, the DMV papers just kind of say that. They're not your papers and you have to trust the DMV. Anyway, so there's quote-unquote owning something. And we could get into things like decentralized ID and under collateralization on that side. And I don't necessarily think that's what the the meat of this discussion is going to be about. Although if anybody has strong opinions and can tie it back somehow, that'd be kind of fun. And the second category is to own, not quote unquote, but to own, to actually have things. And what it means to even own something. Like when when people just lived in the woods, nobody owned anything. Everybody was just around stuff. We tried to keep our feet on certain land. We had to move with things to do that. But like, Ownership didn't really come up until agriculture, so it's a rather new concept. Um, and within that, we have now, living in, in current times, physical items and digital items that can be owned. And physical items are like homes and land. You know, you have like a deed to a place and it's yours, regardless of whether it's a, a loaned or not. It is, you know, yours. You can call it that. And quite the same with your car and cash. You can own cash. You can walk around with cash. Um, it's yours and you can give it directly to people and you don't have to deal with anybody in that transaction. Although there is an issuing authority who can then do stuff with it, there is sort of like an inherent ownership with having a physical item. And then the part that we're probably going to talk the most about is the digital item ownership. And that can be things like money in your Bank of America or Chase account, or it can be gaming assets or, God, the list is probably much longer than we even have time to go through today. So ownership means currently having something that a middleman allows you to have or ensures that you have, and you trust that to happen. And what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is blockchain technology, where these are all supposedly trustless systems, rather systems that, have, that allow us to have custody over the things that we own. And we like to talk a lot about how we own these things, and this is our thing. And we'd like to not talk a whole bunch about what happens if you lose your seed phrase 
or if the on-ramp and off-ramp are too complicated and yada, yada. I think I would like to start out by asking Jan what he thinks about this or if anything I've said so far has made him want to jump in. Uh, because I kind of want this to be naturally directed. So Jan, welcome up here. Uh, do you have anything in particular you'd like to start out with? Hey, what's up? Hey, Donnie. Thank you so much for hosting the show. Man, uh, it has been crazy couple of days on my end and our end. Uh, you know, you probably saw that yesterday we announced the fundraising. And so everything has been kind of leading up to it. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys. I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of topics that we're probably going to touch on. Uh, you know, I personally obviously would love to focus on the infrastructure side of things and, you know, share my thoughts and, you know, kind of what what we're working on, how we're looking, you know, or how we uh, how maybe I personally kind of look at look at the product development in the space and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, you know, like I I would love to uh, I would love to just uh, discuss these things with you guys today. You know, super excited to be Please, here. If you want to give a top down run of uh, whatever it is that you think is relevant to talk about regarding infrastructure. And just in case anybody here doesn't know or anybody listening in the future um, doesn't know, Jan works with or for or owns Xverse or something. I actually don't know what your role is there. You're just always the guy that I talk to when I think about Xverse. Uh, what's your role there? Uh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I have been with the company for about a year. So uh, basically my official role, if you really want to kind of be official, it's CSO basically focusing on strategy and product because, uh, you know, ultimately, yes, I, I do love uh, growth and, you know, being heavily involved on the social media side and talking with communities. I'm kind of like, I would say I'm the only full-time DGen in the company that is actually, you know, like buying into all these crazy NFTs and, you know, exploring all of these projects, ordinals and stuff like that. And so, you know, obviously I'm kind of heavily involved in, a lot of different aspects of the company, but, you know, officially really kind of working with the team and especially Ken, because Ken is the founder and uh, he's obviously he's a CEO, but he's also playing the role of the CTO, I would say, because he's an engineer, uh, you know, he, his background is an engineer. And uh, so he's managing the engineering team and, and really focusing on that. And so where I come in is really kind of spearhead the strategy, like, like, where do we go? What do we focus on? Because I am so in touch with uh, the market, with the communities, getting a lot of feedback. And I was actually the guy that basically, you know, in January, February, I was really kind of, you know, the person that said like, hey, guys, like we got to drop everything else we're working on right now and just go all in on ordinals because I saw that, you know, obviously at the very beginning of ordinals, there wasn't there was not so many people really, really like interested in it. There was just a couple of people hosting spaces every single day and we're counting, oh, is it like sub 10K and sub 100K and like inscribing and, you know, some people are getting into running their nodes so that they can inscribe early collections and stuff like that. But even in that time, I already saw that excitement that, that I saw similarly with NFTs, you know, like one or two years prior because that's something that really got me into the space, like that got me really passionate about Web3 in general. And so, uh, so yeah, I was basically like, hey guys, like we, we got to do this. Like we, we got to make sure that our app Xverse can fully support ordinals and we can be the best in the market. And so uh, that's why, you know, like I always say that I'm kind of on the strategy side, product side and growth side in general. So the, the questions are, Jan, why wallets? 
Like, why do we have wallets? Why do we need crypto wallets? Why don't we just bank with Bank of America? Why don't we buy Pokemon trading cards? And what is, why bother with digital collectibles? I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's a big question, to be honest, Donnie, right? Because, you know, if you ask me from a user perspective, I, I don't like the experience of wallets right now. You know, like, that's just how it is. It's too complicated, right? Seed phrases, like, you know, I personally not only do ordinals, and Bitcoin, but I do Solana, Ethereum, and potentially in the future other chains as well. And I have so many different seed phrases and so many different wallets that I have to manage. And I just feel from a user perspective that it's crazy complicated, right? And it's easy to make mistake. It's easy to lose these things. And so I am, you know, as a, as a kind of product person, I've been in tech for a decade. I have built different companies in different spaces before. And so, uh, you know, if you just ask me through, uh, purely from a user perspective, it's definitely not ideal where we are today. Obviously, we're working on solutions and there are other people experimenting with different things. And I'm sure that we're going to figure this problem out. But right now, it's it's definitely not ideal. And so when you even mentioned that thing like, hey, why don't I have some sort of digital wallet or wallet with some sort of centralized entity? I mean, I, I, to some extent, believe that, like, you know, some users would prefer that and they will eventually prefer this kind of solution, you know? And uh, is it for everybody? Probably not. There are going to be the decentralization, non-custodial people, maxis, and I like that fact that I can control my assets fully much better as well. But if we're really talking about bringing a lot more people or having a lot more people just using these things that we're building here in Web3 in general, I think we'll need to have different types of solutions, right? And again, like it's a, it's more like philosophical question, like, or even user preference question, like which one do you want? You know, like is one, one solution the best and the other is the worst? No, you know, it just depends on the use case, right? And so I, I think that's, that's kind of just like a general thought process there. Uh, ultimately, you know, if we go into Bitcoin and if we go into Xverse, you know, the, the other question that you asked, like, yeah, we have two different addresses and, you know, yeah, it feels like it's much more complicated than on Ethereum or Solana, you know, where there is uh, just one and it's much more straightforward. You know, it's actually interesting, right? Because we made this decision on um, uh, with Xverse actually on purpose at the very beginning. And I will explain why. Because, you know, ordinals themselves, they are still pretty early, right? And all the indexing and all these issues that come up that can cause things like uh, that you can lose ordinal, for instance, because the indexer is down and it doesn't index ordinals and, and you have Bitcoin and ordinals in the same address and you're sending transactions from the same address, like you may actually end up losing ordinals. It happens all the time. You know, it's unfortunate, but it happens all the time, you know, with uh, with uh, basically all the other wallets or, you know, like just, just the space uh, as well. And so we made this decision on purpose. Like we want to separate things, right? Because it's additional kind of safeguard for people. If you use the wallet the, the, the way it's supposed to be used, that you only send ordinals to your ordinals address and you only deal with Bitcoin transactions with your Bitcoin uh, payment address, basically the probability that you're going to lose an ordinal is, is zero. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, it, it cannot happen. Even if the indexer of ordinals goes down for two hours, if you're not transacting from the ordinals uh, ordinals address because it's only for it's only used for ordinals, like you cannot lose them, right? But if you only have one address for everything and the indexer goes down, uh, you know, there, there's there's basically nothing you can really do, right? Because the indexer is the only thing that basically tells the difference between, hey, this is a normal Bitcoin 
and this is a Bitcoin that is also an ordinal, you know, and that's kind of like how the space functions today. And it's so, like a metal uh, detector. Like yeah, you, exactly. You need this oh, separate so, thing altogether to be able to sense where the thing you're looking for actually is, or to be able to like filter those. And I found that. Well, no, keep going. I'm not going to go down a different tangent. Please continue. No, no, no. We we can discuss it because I think it's an important topic, you know. And it also speaks to the fact, you know, like how you interact with your users, right? Because at the beginning, everybody was kind of bashing us for it. Everybody was saying, oh, this is so complicated user experience. Why do you guys have two addresses? Like all the other wallets, they only have one and it's much easier to understand and this and this and that. But uh, we basically kind of stuck with it. And, uh, you know, now looking back, it was actually the best decision that we could have made. Yes, from time to time, people make mistakes. People send ordinal to the wrong address anyways. And, you know, like sometimes... Uh, you know, like uh, like it could lead to issues as well. But you know, the number of cases that that uh, that that arise from this is like extremely low compared to if we actually choose a different path. You know, and had a lot of users that have never used Bitcoin before, and they're just coming to Ordinals for the first time, and uh, they would just be basically making mistakes, or like uh, you know, they would be losing their Ordinals potentially much more if we didn't have this, right? And so you know, that's that's just like one of the things that you always have to consider when you're building a product, like, like what is the number one priority? Like, yes, you want to make the product super easy to use for sure. But, you know, you should never compromise on the other things like security, safety, etc. Because, you know, otherwise, like, you know, users don't even know at the beginning what they actually want, right? And uh, you kind of learn that as you go, as you build, and as you discover these problems that exist in the ecosystem that you didn't even know that they existed at the very beginning, right? And so uh, it's kind of like, it speaks to the fact like how you actually build a product and and you should kind of, as a company, you know, you should kind of stick to your guns sometimes and not listen to your users 100%. Yeah, that's, I mean, we, I think we talked about that even on the first episode and we're going to get into it a lot more later. The decentralization or like truly democratic systems allow almost... Too much control. I mean, I guess from my standpoint, I guess this is, this is sort of like the problem with decentralization. That a lot of people who are not educated on the topic have a full, fully weighted position in it. But I guess at the end of the day, if most people think something, then that sort of is the closest we can get to an objective truth. So, like, I, I agree though. You can't really solve problems in an ecosystem that doesn't exist, or for a game that hasn't been coded yet. You, you can't figure out how to play it. So the thing I was going to interject and say is that it's it's funny that we we preach decentralization, especially with Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is known to be like the most distributed, most decentralized uh, ledger out there. But the, I guess, do we qualify decentralization as the opportunity to develop a solution such as an indexer? Or do we qualify it as like algorithmic word of God, this can't go wrong. We've all decided uh, that this is what the reality is. And I guess if you look at Bitcoin core nodes about how they all agree that this is the version, this is the thing that we're doing here. So since we all agree, this is what we're doing. Indexing kind of doesn't follow that. So for anybody listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, um, inscriptions or ordinals are Bitcoin, for lack of a better word, NFTs. They're Bitcoin collectibles or images or you know data stored on chain somewhere. But they're inscribed directly on the smallest possible unit of Bitcoin. But the Bitcoin network doesn't recognize 
that smallest unit as a transactable unit because it's so small that it's like, I'm going to disregard this altogether. So you need a few hundred of them lumped together in order for Bitcoin even notice and to be able to send and receive an ordinal inscription. So you need what's called padding around one single Satoshi that has the information on it that you're looking for, the data on it that you're looking for. And currently, even though the entire rest of the network, all of Bitcoin is decentralized to the, like this almost utopian degree that we've never seen before, I don't think on planet Earth, Indexers are not because there are people who have to make the indexers. People have to run the, the software or the protocol that recognizes when these things are where they are and whether they're being sent or whether they're legitimate or numbered properly or whatever. So Jan or Garrett or ZSY, anybody always speak up. Does anybody have any strong opinions about whether or not this is something we can further decentralize? or should even bother decentralizing because this is kind of an open market situation where, yeah, you do have to trust that the indexer is right, but if the indexer is wrong, won't we just end up at a better one? Yeah, Jan, go for it. Yeah, just real quick, and obviously I want other people to chime in into the conversation as well, but, you know, 100% yes, we have to do this. We need to figure out a way how to incentivize people to uh, run more indexers that are independent, so that you don't rely on one source of truth, right? Like, I mean, that's that's ultimately really beneficial for the whole ecosystem and it's already happening. It just takes time, right? Like, I just want to say that, you know, again, I have not been in Bitcoin for 13 years, you know, like I'm not the OG that has been here from day one, but ultimately when Bitcoin started, there wasn't too many people running nodes as well, right? Like it all kind of happens as the adoption grows, as there is more interest in the network and, uh, you know, just just people kind of join in and then you get more decentralization over time, right? And the same thing with indexers for ordinals, right? Like at the beginning, it was just a few people, mostly the businesses like, you know, the, the, the wallets or the marketplaces that basically need to run the indexer themselves because, you know, their business depends on it. And, uh, you know, now we see more and more builders coming in and they're going to do the same thing, right? Because, again, they're they're incentivized to provide the best experience to their users, right? And so, uh, you know, we at the beginning, we depended on a third party because that was just the way it is. That was the fastest way to market. There were other people focusing on just building the best indexers. So we used third parties. But along the way, we learned, like, no, we need to control this ourselves. Like, we need to run another indexer ourselves because, like, if there are some changes that need to be made, like... We need to be fully controlled to upgrade it, right, very quickly. And so we are basically running our indexer as well right now, and many companies do so as well. And so I think very quickly we're going to get to the point where it's not going to be just a few companies running indexers, like, you know, for instance, Unisat, they started the indexer for BRC20 tokens. They were the only ones at the very beginning, and now you have more companies doing so, you know. And so we're not going to be the only ones running indexers. It's going to be maybe dozens, maybe hundreds of people, and I think that's the way to go. You know, because then we actually going to kind of come up to the conclusion that like, hey, this is the truth. Like this is this is uh, more rock solid than at the very beginning. Right. So so that's kind of my thoughts. And that's how I even see other builders kind of kind of thinking about it, because we, we discuss this uh, as a collective all the time. The separate layer of consensus. I never thought about that where we really don't have to change anything in the code or, you know, at, at the protocol level, just more people doing it will eventually form a consensus, essentially. That's really cool. Thank you for bringing that up, Jan. But yeah, so say, for example, uh, like obviously it makes it more decentralized if these indexes are run by more more people. So how would someone who's set up a full node, would they be able to some way uh, contribute and and like 
host these indexes as well, like say just a, a random ordinal enjoyer, they've set up their node. Is there a way that they can then host uh, like the, the indexing? Is there a simple way to do it? Jam, yeah, I so, guess, you know, you know I am not an engineer, you know, that can give you a specific uh, kind of description on how it works, uh, because again, like that's not my spiel. But the way I look at it and, you know, again, from a user perspective or from a person that is using all of these products and kind of like, like talks about these things with people all the time. Yes, like, you know, you can run an indexer today. You know, you can, you know, the same way you, you can run a full Bitcoin node. I'm, I'm running right now on another computer as I talk to you guys. And uh, basically, you can do the same thing for art and, and you can sync that. You can sync all of those, uh, all of those things. And let's say if you're running an app, whatever, like, you know, you just, uh, you just have it at home, right? Like, you don't have to depend on anybody else to basically tell you, okay, like, do I still have my ordinals here or there? No, like, you know, you can, you can just basically, like, take that responsibility into your own hands. Uh, the way how you would then contribute to uh, basically like even let other people to access your, let's say the, the ORD or indexer and basically contribute to the decentralized network. Again, I'm not sure how that's done right now, but I'm also 100% sure that there are people working on this, right? Like that maybe somebody is gonna come up with a tool or something that you can connect to easily. And again, basically like just, just offer the, the, the fact that like you're running the node, you're running the indexer yourself and like people can can come to you and check like, hey, is the data the same as mine? And if not, if it differs, why it differs, right? And this way we kind of like can figure out like, okay, what is the actual truth? You know, because right now uh, it's actually a conversation that we have been having quite a lot on the Ordinal show with all the other people, especially if you guys remember the conversation about the cursed inscriptions and, you know, these kinds of things. Like, like there were people basically looking at these things differently, right? Like, okay, should we include them in the inscription numbers or we should not and this and that. And so basically there was this conversation like, like, okay, what is actually the proper way to index these things, right? And so there is still a chance that some indexers are slightly different than others, you know? And so ultimately then, yes, you know, like you want to kind of figure out some sort of communication. You want to figure out like, okay, how do we, how do we double check and how do we come up to a conclusion that like, okay, this is the, this is the truth, right? That's, that's ultimately the outcome that you want to achieve. For sure, yeah, because was, uh, there were some issues before. It wasn't just with Xverse, I think, or .io as well. Um, so it wasn't indexing the, the ordinals correctly, and it would say it's in, in my wallet, for example, but it's also in the other person's wallet. On ordinals.com, it was indexed in their wallet, but in Xverse, before the update, um, it was indexed in my wallet still so it was, it was super confusing so yeah i definitely understand and think it's important for this and i think the cool thing is like most people who are in ordinals now or like migrate and over or whatever they're doing it not just to chase a pump they actually want to learn as well and like learn about how it all works so i think it's it would be very useful like if if some big brain out there wants to write a guide how people can can make their own indexes or contribute in some way i think that's super important and obviously that helps secure ordinals bitcoin and everything because even uh before we launched uh the anons btc anons one of the ways to to get whitelist because i guess that's the aim of the game being in the discord was like set up a fucking node like sync it and then maybe you'll get a whitelist for it so it, it just incentives like that and then now there's maybe 30 40 more people who are running nodes and, and syncing them up so i think if we can utilize that whenever we're on board and more people i think that's definitely useful and obviously helps the the decentralized ownership which is i guess why most of us are here we we're enjoyers of the ordinals and owning your shit 
That's right. Making it crowdsourced in the same way that everything else is crowdsourced, mining and node running notably, um, would only make sense if we all care about that. And I think it's on its way. It's probably not too far out uh, from what Jan said. Man, I 100% agree that like, I think I, and I even hope in the future that all of these collections, all of these, like, especially I would say the quote unquote blue chip collections or like the collections that actually really want to do something good for the space. Like every single collection should have this basic requirement. Like, Hey, if you want to get a whitelist, you know, like you need to run a Bitcoin node at least, you know, like, I'm not saying that everybody needs to run the line because that can be a little bit more complicated and, you know, it requires like, you know, more, more data or whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's a little bit, little bit, little bit heavier, but like, man, like I am running my Bitcoin node. And again, like, I'm not going to lie. Like I didn't run Bitcoin node before, you know, like I, I started caring about it just because of Ordinals, because like suddenly I'm like, okay, like this is cool. And it's, it's actually not that complicated as I thought before. Like I just basically set up my seven year old uh, computer that was just lying here doing nothing. And uh, I bought extra, extra disk for it. And I just synced it, you know, it took a little bit of time, you know, obviously it wasn't the most optimized solution. It took me three or four days instead of 12 hours, whatever. But like, you know, it's still there. It's sitting there, it's running. And, you know, it requires three clicks, literally, like it's not a rocket science type of thing. Right. And so I really, I really would love to see that all of these collections are going to promote this uh, kind of behavior because it's the least we can do, right, to promote the decentralization of the network. Yeah, but we, we can collectively agree if we see collections coming into ordinals to launch something, they've got some hype. We will FUD that shit to the ground if they're not setting up full nodes. Like, <laughs> that's it. You ain't you ain't launching here if you ain't. You're like the mafia. Although that's kind of against, no, is that against decentralization? Whatever, we'll figure it out. Nah, uh, by the end of the episode, we're going to answer that one. So the the thing that I wanted to circle around to was that decentralization is for an, for as an example for anybody out there who's like I said I know that there are a lot of people who just collect digital collectibles and they don't have any idea what's going on in the background and that's cool you don't have to but if you want to know maybe why decentralization is important uh, let's say you have a Chase bank account card and you want to go buy gummy worms at the gas station and you go to the gas station and you have a thousand dollars in your Chase bank account. And because, I don't know, everybody else withdrew money out of their bank accounts that day in some weird turn of events, you, your $1,000 is not valid and you don't get to spend that and get your gummy worms. And I know that sounds sort of inconsequential, but let's say you don't have any food in your refrigerator and you have five kids and you want to go buy eggs and feed them that day. And the bank just is like, sorry, dude, we're out of, we ran out of money. We put the money in the wrong place. We lost it. We don't know what to tell you. Uh, but we have to file an insurance claim and we have to find a way to get that money back in your account. But currently we don't have anything to give you and it's not going to work. That's a problem. It's a problem that we have to trust a third party with the things we have. Now, the benefit of that is that we also have these things insured. So if somebody drains your checking account of, what is it, up to $250,000, the FDIC, you get the money back because it's insured because you've trusted another party that holds your money for you and by you letting them hold it, they get to make money off it all year long and then maybe they don't charge you anything for it. And they provide you this free service of insurance or protection against loss somehow. And how does loss occur over the course of time? I mean, there are quick ways to have it happen. Like someone scans your pocket and now they have your credit card number and they go spend, you know, a bazillion dollars at Walmart or something or wherever they get away with it. So they can drain your checking account and you're repaid immediately for that. Or uh, let's say a nation decides to take over your nation and all of a sudden your house is not your house. Your money is not your money. Uh, whatever else, right? Or they, let's say that that nation that's taking over changes nothing. They just decide to take the bank. It's the bank's theirs now. And that money goes with it because you've trusted a third party with it. 
Um, people can break into your house and steal stuff, or it can burn in a fire or whatever. Maybe digital assets don't do quite the same thing. But nonetheless, we don't have any versions of protection. So while we are protected from the third party, follow me here. Sorry, I know this is going to be weird. Um, when you have a bank account, the third party protects your assets in a way, but you're still trusting someone else to hold it, which can be a problem. When you hold your assets fully, which is what a crypto wallet lets you do, if you lose your seed phrase, which is ultimately the super complicated password for you to get into it, if you store it somewhere that gets compromised, as in like some bandit on the internet grabs it and they go, oh, this is mine now, I'm going to go into that wallet. Uh, they take your stuff, there's no insurance, 0%. If you lose it, if you lose the seed phrase, you have no way to access your wallet, you also can't get back into it. Even if no one else gets it, you don't. And then for the rest of your life, you can go view the balance of that wallet online and just look at how much money you don't have anymore. That's a problem. So protection from loss is something we really haven't solved yet. And I think that's going to come with, I guess this also goes along with under collateralized loaning. Meaning that when you go, I promise I'm me, my name's Donnie, my credit score is X number of hundreds, and you can trust me to pay you back for this Volkswagen. And they're like, cool, man, here you go. You just give us an extra 10% on top of that over the course of X many years, and you can take this Volkswagen because we know where to find you, and we trust that you won't mess up your credit score. That doesn't exist in the digital realm. So if you have all of your assets, let's say I try to go completely off the radar, and I just have a Bitcoin wallet and a MetaMask, and I have only cryptocurrency for the rest of my life. I can't get a loan because I don't exist. Uh, at some point, digital identity is going to have to come in and allow us to build reputations such that we can take loans out. Well, not have to, but like if we want society to keep being what it is, we have to be able to take loans out for amounts of money in collateral that we don't have. Where currently, I would have to give someone a $100,000 board ape to get a $65,000 loan in return, knowing full well that if I don't pay it back, I just lose 100 grand, right? So the dynamics of being in the digital space are so much different. It's a big trade-off at the moment where you get more trust. You get to trust what's going on because you're in full control of it. If I want to give Jan $100 right now, I don't have to ask anyone to do it, except I have to ask Jan for his wallet address. But I can just send him $100, right? I don't have to ask Bank of America if they still have my money and they can give it to them and then they wait five days for it to transfer or whatever. You know, like the system is kind of slow and laggy. But because of that, we have a lot of protection against loss. Does anyone here know of anything moving in that direction other than the DID, like Polygon ID and all that stuff? Is there anything active, anybody actively seeking solutions? Because as we talk about onboarding and user interfaces and like the mi next million or billion users in the crypto space, I think these are some of the biggest problems we're going to have to face because people are inherently um, not good at doing their own research. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, super tough, man. Like for me, I want to hold my own shit. Like I don't, I don't have a centralized exchange. I don't have any money in the bank. Like I maybe I'm just fucking paranoid, but I just don't trust anyone with my stuff. But then obviously I have to look after my seed phrase and, and make sure I don't lose it because there is no, like if I send it to the wrong wallet or if I just lose my stuff, then then I'm fucked. But I, I feel confident in myself, but I'm not so confident for the rest of, of humanity, like barring some, because people do, they, they don't want to self-custody their stuff. They want to rely on someone else all the time. So yeah, I do agree. There needs to be some sort of middle ground. And like, honestly, like, fudded ledger a little bit with their like seed phrase thing but for the average person that is very useful like <laughs> that's needed for for most people like even I, I don't know with i could teach my my wife how to self-custody her stuff but i think she'd rather just have it like 
she can if she loses her password she can say i've lost my password i need to log in so yeah there definitely needs like i'm not building anything like that but there definitely needs to be something along those lines but say like exchanges there's always lending there's like all of this stuff comes into play there needs to just be something where you can just get your stuff you can send it if you lose your password you can log back in I don't want to be lending 100x leverage on my stuff and and like they don't need to do all of that as well just something like x first if they can have the ledger integrated and then someone loses their password then they can just well their seed phrase or whatever i'm not sure exactly how it works but they can just go over there they can say look i lost it show the identification and stuff and they can they can regain access to their assets so i think yeah that's that's probably a decent solution but again even a ledger is is too much for for the general civilization but if they want to self custody their stuff and own their shit then that's the way i guess it is a really double edged sword when you start speculating larger market you know market share larger you know this growing and becoming more normal right um cuz there's I don't see how people are going to really want to operate in a purely decentralized manner. And we don't currently. And it all comes down to, you know, what is, you know, like what, what's the best version we can get, right? And I, I think you said it earlier, Donnie, it's like Bitcoin is very revolutionary in like how it proposed its economics, how it broke itself down, how it became decentralized. Like, so it, you know, it does reign this like fantastic, you know, uh, new idea into economics, if you will, too, right? So, but it is a really hard thing to try and find a balance in because people like, okay, I'll even make it simple, right? Like, dude, people got millions of dollars up in banks. They got emails connected to this thing and like 2FA and a trust fund. And everybody's acting like this is somehow like actually broken. And it's like, well, it's not. Like, if you didn't notice, like Warren Buffett and Peta don't seem to have any complaints. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't hear so, people talking about that in this space, do you? There's a, there's a big echo chamber regarding how much of a problem this solves and not how much of a problem will be left over when we solve those problems. So it it is always going to be a hard line to draw for any anybody who's envisioning real future retail onboarding whatever you want to call it <laughs> you know it just i think what it's going to require is just our continual innovation decentralized back ends but yeah I, I just don't really see a world without sexes and without see you know and without having some form of custodial systems. I'm actually, I was actually really excited about the last one of the last upgrades with Ethereum because it was specifically over how to create and recover wallets. I hope we just see more of that innovation because that way there is a ch more choices, still decentralized, and it just you know gives each user the freedom to make the choice. What risk do you want to take? You know. We really like to talk about decentralization and all the like, you know, don't tread on me things that come with it. And everybody who's not already involved in cryptocurrency or not already like familiar with wallets or something, uh, they like to focus on all of the problems that we totally ignore, like this third party issue, like the like the insurance issue, essentially. Um, what I would see in the future is probably something like we were talking about ordinals indexing, some sort of a decentralized aggregator that ends up being the third party in a situation like an algorithmic third party of some sort i've never really gone through this in any uh i mean this is where i kind of like want to take a small turn because it's like 
you know, topic being ownership, right? You know, what a, I think that liquidity has everything to do with this, you know? I think that there is a little bit of a utopian philosophy in crypto and I I don't I'm actually all for it. I think that that's how we get as close to it as possible, right? We have to reach really high. Um but it can be a tricky thing because everything just comes back down to like how many dollars can i get how much gold can i get how many lambos can i get how many houses can i get how long can i feed my family right and so as much as we love bitcoin right it is still measured in dollars and dollars are a measurement of debt in our economy and for me that just means bitcoin's another medium to move debt around um and it's it's always going to be that issue where it's like until people become more comfortable with bitcoin you know it, gold is and silver are probably the still most realistic decentralized global currencies. They are a pain in the butt because they weigh a lot, <laughs> which is why we came up with this stuff, right? That's how we kind. That's like one of the founding principles of coming into Bitcoin is because people realize, like, holy crap, we're hauling all this heavy, stupid stuff around. We could totally like. <laughs> We can do this a lot more efficiently, you know, right? Uh, which is why I think people talk about Bitcoin being gold. I think there's a little bit of a misconception about its store of value. Um, but, you know, I I think that it's about taking risk and understanding market psychology. That's why I also like index funds, right? Um, you have to kind of go, go where the money goes, you know, you got to kind of follow it, uh, you know, so... It, it's a yeah i think that it's doing what it's supposed to do you know and but it, yeah it is going to be a very interest it's always going to be a hard thing to solve at the end of the day because people are always looking to exit you know yeah dude you bring up a really good point when the liquidity or the the finance the money isn't in the crypto sphere uh, because it's in TradFi, that's where the development's going to occur. And no one's going to develop in this space until the money moves here. But the money won't move here until people develop in the space, right? It's one of those like the restaurant industry thing where you apply for a bartending job and they go, where have you bartended before? And you're like, well, I can't if no one hires me. So like if I haven't bartended somewhere, how am I supposed to bartend somewhere? You know what I mean? Uh, Jan, hit it. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to kind of add to the conversation because you guys mentioned index funds right now, right? And uh it's interesting because I've been thinking about it. I was actually talking with somebody about this the other day. And, uh, you know, when you look at this space, right, I, I really feel that it's about two things, right? When we talk about adoption, one, obviously, is the user experience. Like, is it easy to start? Is it, uh, you know, do we have the infrastructure and stuff like that? And the second is really the risk and reward, right, ratio. And, uh, you know, like what people are actually willing to uh, to put on the line, let's say, right? Because when you look at even traditional stock market, right, like, it's so easy today to download Revolut app or, you know, whatever, Robinhood and start trading stocks. Still, most people don't do that because, uh, you know, there is some sort of risk. They don't want to lose their money. They would rather have the money in the bank account and, you know, just like not really make any money on it and potentially lose money every single day. But, you know, like they don't want to take on the responsibility that, OK, I'm going to make a bad decision and I'm going to lose all of my money that I basically like work so hard for. Right. And uh that's one thing. And with crypto, you know, obviously <laughs> the risk on, you know, the investment side is much greater because it's much more volatile and, you know, like to some extent illiquid and whatever, you know, like compared to the traditional stock market. And uh, so the risk on that side is much, much, much higher. And plus the user experience is much, much, much worse, right? Because, 
yes, you have to consider the seed phrases. You have to consider all of these things. And yes, it has some benefits. Obviously, some people love it. That's why we're here. But for most of the people, like they cannot even wrap their head around it, right? And so, uh, you know, again, like this kind of tells me, and I and I hate to say it, man. I hate to always be saying to people, oh, we are so early in this because like people usually use this phrase to pump their own backs. But yeah, like in terms of the infrastructure, in terms of like how easy it is to actually just just start in the space and kind of like use it without, you know, sweating every single day when you're going to sleep that something is going to happen or that you're going to make a mistake. Like it's still pretty freaking early, you know, because yeah, like we DGENs, we love it because the upside is obviously pretty high and that's why we're all here, I believe. Uh, but, you know, like most of the people, like like my brother, you know, like he's not old, but he's not necessarily the the most tech savvy guy, you know, and, you know, he's only going to ever think about Bitcoin when Bitcoin hits 100K and all the all the media, you know, all the mainstream media, like start talking about Bitcoin again. But beyond that, like, you know, they just don't care. They, 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 they just, you know, it's too complicated for them, you know. And so, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting conversation to be had. I mean, we're going to continue to have this conversation. I don't think it's going to change overnight. There's a lot of people that are coming up with different solutions. Like, I actually met a company. I was where I was. I was somewhere. I was in Tokyo. Yeah, I was in Tokyo two weeks ago. And I met a company that is building a hardware wallet that is uh, basically secured by your social circle. So, uh you know, you can give uh, the uh, access, let's say, or, you know, partial, partial access to a couple of the people that are around you that you trust and that don't know each other so that they cannot really screw you. And, uh, you know, if you lose the seed phrase, like you can you can get the social recovery. I think it's an interesting concept, to be honest. And I would love to see kind of like these things come to market and see if it's actually going to be really that good and if it can take off. So I'm rooting for all of these guys to experiment and to try different things, right? Because that's what we need right now. Yeah, there are a bunch of companies that are operating or, or trying to implement social recovery, which honestly seems like a pretty good route forward because it doesn't require biometric data or password storage or anything like that. Biometrics is a totally different topic, and we can get into that if we run out of things to talk about, which I don't feel like we will. But uh, I'd like to welcome Prism up. What's up, Prism? Yeah, we're in this eternal battle between uh, convenience and kind of taking self-ownership, right? And so the the normal route of things is you put things uh, safely away, you let the banks uh, secure everything, you don't worry about it, you've got, you know, the insurance backing it and all those things. But then, you know, if something does happen, like we saw, we've seen with uh, some of these banks over the past year, uh, all that kind of goes out the window, but it's a very rare case. Um, and you see less people using their own ledger, securing their own keys and, and jumping into self-custodied crypto less because of, I just think there's a, there's a general lack of uh, self-accountability in society nowadays. Um, and uh, people don't want to take on that risk, that, that risk of kind of trusting themselves to manage these things. But, you know, I, as, as, as John said, I, I do think these things will get easier. I'm a big advocate for self-custody. Um, I think cent centralized exchanges will always be there and they're necessary. It's, it's an on-ramp um, and it's a safer on-ramp. Um, but uh, I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's an on-ramp um, and you've got to get that over to your own custody. And I think that is going to be a big barrier to um, just kind of jumping into crypto in general for most people is uh, understanding, you know, that there have been a lot of risks with centralized exchanges. You can't trust them all, even though you know, every single cycle, there's there's a few exchanges that 
um, everyone trusts. And then those like, those same exchanges uh, are not there the next cycle. Like we saw that with FTX and Celsius and all of that. Um, and unfortunately, those those centralized exchanges are the ones that are targeting you know the general public uh, with things that seem very similar to what they what they see from traditional banking systems. And so they get kind of get caught up in this, right? And then, um, and then they they lose faith, and then they don't want to go further. Um, but I, I do think that one thing that that NFTs in general, and now ordinals in general, uh, one thing that that that's done positively outside of you know just building communities and and advocating art and and all of those things, um, is this led to this mentality of like I want to I want to own what I what I own. I want to I want to be able to prove ownership. Um, and so I think as we kind of move forward into this next cycle and seeing how big NFTs got in this past cycle, I do think self-ownership will become more normalized, more important. And I think the younger generation, just with the way the economy has been over the past few years, uh, they're more willing to take risks and, and they're more willing to um, kind of try new things. Um, because, you know, Donnie, I, I'm, I'm just going to assume you're you're closer to my age than then maybe like maybe the younger ones, younger folks jumping in. Is it the bald head? <laughs> uh, well, the I want to say. <laughs> uh, man, I'm getting older, man. I I cannot I cannot go all, all night anymore. You know, I'm looking at all these Web3 youngsters. Uh, these youngsters, you know, like they're telling me they're going all night, all day, you know, and I'm like, fuck, man, I'm too old for that already. Oh, uh, yeah, we need naps, right? Yeah, but we get uh, smarter when we age. We get smarter, exactly. we trade physical benefits for mental benefits, and I'll take it. And also, it's the only thing we can do. The only one option. You can either get older and dumber, or you can get older and smarter. So I'm hoping yeah, to choose exactly. the latter. I'm choosing the latter. I'm hoping to execute the latter. So us us here in this yeah, space 40. today, we we realize that um, the system as it's designed is is designed to keep you where you are. It's you know, It makes it very difficult to, to rise above the situation that you're in or change your situation. And and that's kind of one of the reasons why we why we enjoy this space, right? Is is we see, you know, not only the technology, but also the opportunity of being here so early. And so I think that's more inherent with the younger generation. And so I, I do see, um, you know, I hope to see more of a shift into self-custody and uh, wanting to learn those ways that you can just, um, you know, manage, manage your own life. But again, in that, in the, you know, you do see a lot of uh, a lack of, uh, like self accountability, there's you know people are generally quick to blame others. So it's it's this like double edged sword. We're going to continue fighting, um, but I think with the tools get easier, um, then then hopefully we see more people at least wanting to learn about that. We are, yeah. The system is built to keep us where we are, kind of, but also we have sewer systems and roadways that are built and all these like extra benefits that I don't think ever existed before. Third parties were controlling stuff. So like, I, I think it's one of those trade-offs where like, if we fully merge into this new total self-custody libertarian dream, uh, then somebody has to pave the streets and operate the sewer systems. And like, that doesn't sound super fun to me. So while blockchain does solve the ownership problem, it doesn't pass the mom test. My mother will never download. Well, not never. Never say never and always. My mother will not currently download a wallet. She will use centralized exchanges only and sparingly. This is a fact. And until my mother is doing this, mass adoption has not occurred. But I just thought to myself, do we really... So, so sort of like some things benefit more from being stored on-chain and others benefit more from being pointed to some off-chain storage, something a little bit lighter, cheaper, easier, faster but also more mutable, more stealable, more whatever, more losable, let's say. Um, 
Do you think much like, and this is a vague, broad you, any of you, you people, um, do any of you think that there is a world where like some things don't really matter if they're self-custody and that like maybe the Mona Lisa should be in either not or definitely self-custody and that my U.S. dollars or Bitcoin should be in self-custody or maybe some portion of it can be trusted to a bank? Like what are all your thoughts on that? It's kind of funny, like the thing that comes to my head is when it comes to the blockchain and all of these memberships and collectibles and art and music and pretty much like, I don't know, what's funny is you don't really need the blockchain for a lot of this. Like you could create a phone app that has a login system and you could be like, all right, if you like log in and you swipe your credit card, you're going to get like this piece of digital art. We're going to like put you into a filing system and we have an S corp and here's all the documents to support it. And you can only use our platform to do it. And voila, like you have memberships and data tracking and ownership and I don't know, like, it's kind of funny when you, you know, until you start getting into things that are like, just purely financial, like literally, you know, store of value, loans, banks, DeFi, right? I just feel like a lot of the stuff we've done lately is like, not exactly the most innovative for Dude, I think, okay, so I think I have very strong feelings about this. Like, dude, it's innovative I think, for DeFi. That's innovation. You know what I mean? But so like, while it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> if you lose a Pokemon card, you lose a, an NFT, you lose something like that. Like, ultimately, it's not that big of a deal. But one of my first big interests in blockchain tech was like, what about governments and driver's license and all these things that we carry around, like the wallet? You know how our wallets just keep getting smaller or in our cameras now or now in our pockets, in the phone and like the wallets now in the phone. Everything's being absorbed by the phone. So if everything's going in this direction. Oh, man, I lost my train of thought. What's the last thing you said, Garrett? Well, I think you're kind of going off into the thing that that I'm even kind of pointing at is like this overall just kind of depend. I mean, this is the, that's a part of the bigger picture. But yeah, exactly. Like we're all just getting on our phone and getting on our computer. And whether it's an application or it's blockchain, like what's the difference oh, yeah. to the end user? And honestly, Dude, we're testing. still completely dependent upon the damn technology. In the we are most place. definitely. And this is just this is testing. We're using as usual art like is the first to step into most like, I don't know, technologies. I suppose, because it doesn't matter that much. Like it doesn't matter in our day-to-day -day lives. We're not going to lose our house over it. Or maybe we will if we buy too many board apes and then they go down or we lose them in a loan battle or something like that. But the point of this is that we are using art and collectibles to try to break a system and tune a system up for when it really does matter, when it comes down to finance and personal ownership of like space and goods and, you know, IP or whatever, whatever we're going to own in the future. Well, that's it's a little bit more important than trading cards. When I first heard of Ordinals, honestly, the one thing that I loved the most about it that just went kind of the light bulb that went off in my head, honestly, it's fucking legal documents. You know what I mean? Like literally, like, literal contracts, literal, about it. like little, little words on pages take up very little data. You know what I mean? And Trademarks, you need patents, really permanent like that. storage that's fully decentralized and allows you to also capture an image. And you're not exactly looking for high res here. Um, 
I mean, that's the part about it that makes me like, well, that just seems like a perfect marriage because like ordinals allow for this like super, you know, kind of almost over the top on chain transaction. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's like it is kind of strange because it's like if you if I'm not mistaken, right, like when the ordinals kind of like peaked out, like the, the blockchain slowed down there for a minute. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm glad it happened. Well, I mean, personally, I think if that you that didn't pay a lot, it's pushing. Down. It's, it's like stepping on the gas pedal to an engine, right? And I feel like ordinals are like coming in to like put a new fuel injector in there or something, or you know what I mean, like change something about it. Because it is, it does provide a very interesting option. You know, I I do debate though. I do wonder, like when I think about like Filecoin, right? And like it's dependent on computers, right? And people to run said computer and pay said power bill. And that's, and there you go, right? Um, it's so, I don't know. Sometimes as much as I love the Bitcoin thing, it is kind of tricky because it's like, you know, I almost wish somebody would create a hardware proof of work on chain storage system or something instead of the bingo cards like they do for filecoin right like you have all these hard drives and you got these bingo cards and it's which is not a bad system i'm not trying to talk shit but i, I everyone seems to love this proof of work decentralization stuff you know <laughs> like but you know what i mean it's like it is slightly inefficient because it's it's you're you're trying to stack so much data into such a small space so obviously people are going out and uh fixing it in certain manners through all these other methodologies but it is kind of strange there is a part of me that's like you know as much as it's great to stick on a new air filter and a better carburetor and upgrade the suspension maybe we should just build a new car <laughs> maybe we start over <laughs> well i don't know do we have to go as far as build a new car or is it good that we have these constrictions so that we can find ways to make data smaller while we watch the logarithmic increase in technological capabilities make 10 terabyte hard drives easy to put on phones and thereby yeah, every Bitcoin about that, can be Jan, that, like, and, and, and With all this new stuff that's come out, because there's a lot, I, I and the words are slipping my mind right now, but I know people have been able to put more information into their ordinal. I mean, do you, how do you feel about like the bigger picture there? Do you think it's, it is something that we're just going to have to have and just be stuck with, or is there more to it than that? Well, Garrett, Garrett, I think you just described ordinals. Like ordinals are much more than just uh, images on chain. I mean, this is data storage on Bitcoin, um, and it's done in the most decentralized way. It's, it's secured by the people, right? And and the more people who jump into ordinals and they want to inscribe on their own, like the number of nodes that went live strictly for ordinals in the past six months is insane. And all that does is is more it, it, is make the the network more secure. Um, and so um, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, on-chain storage of data in general is a very positive thing. And I think that's the exact problem that Ordinal solve. And like Donnie said, we're just we're just doing JPEGs first. This is the first use case. Yeah, it does. It feels like recursion is helping that. But I, I guess if we were to... Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Recursion, yeah. So recursion is when you use elements from previous inscriptions to compile into new inscriptions by... You basically lower the amount of data by HTML pointing to something that is also on-chain. So it's not an off-chain pointer, it's an on-chain pointer, meaning that everything that is compiled on that new ordinal is still stored on-chain. Um, but I was just thinking about a reality where, you know how when you're, you're on your desktop, you just drag a file into a folder and then it's on like iCloud storage or something like that? All we have to do eventually in the next 10 or 100 years is build some sort of protocol that 
eases the user interface. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a user interface problem. If block sizes are still four megabytes, um, I'd be shocked in 10 years. I think that there are going to be upgrades that occur so that's, that's because hardware gets great. That's a great topic, though, because that was a huge deal, right? The block wars, like the original ones, right? And that's that's something this is like super hypothetical, you know, so I, I you know, I, I love for anyone to spin spin it or throw any, you know, ideas or information they have into the hat, the hat. But, you know, will the ASICs miner become semi obsolete, meaning like uh, the nanometer gets tighter, right? Like they create a more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. Right. All the way to quantum computing. So it is a very strange futuristic dilemma right and it's an like a very unknown point right it could be theoretically 10 but it could easily be 30 years out right like it, it's it's a yeah. really hard one to pin down um but it is strange because if you start going down that road um you know honestly i, I would have to say i'd probably even have to go and do a little more research to try and answer the question but all together like the ledger and that data is definitely not going to be 300 you know what i mean yeah. like it's it's yeah it's going to change that ball game i just don't know enough to say how it would affect a miner or how it would affect that particular well, piece of hardware directly i think we should at, at some point we should start to wrap this up we can still talk, sit around and talk about this stuff but i would like to We'll get closing remarks in a moment, but I want to bring up something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. When you said if ASICs become relevant, which I, I don't think it's a question of if, it's, it's a question of when, when quantum computing begins to be able to behave sort of like a normal computer, um, then everything is going to change. And that means that the exploits are going to get way bigger, but so are the securities, I guess. But in the back of my head, I think to myself, we have these facilities full of mining rigs that people buy and they run to help the network stay secure and provide hash power. And they, uh, in fact, I was Chip is in the audience right now. I was talking with him about this the other day. Most people are doing this. They're they're packing warehouses full of miners to secure the system or the network, and then they're fighting the heat by air conditioning it. Um, it seems as though everything, like if if there was some utopian future, 300 years in the future, where everything is as it should be, I would imagine that anything that we currently use to produce heat on purpose ought to just be a miner. Like, why isn't my toaster oven a miner? Why isn't my dryer a miner? Uh, why isn't the, uh, there's an HVAC system in my electric car because the car produces no heat. Why isn't that a miner? And if everything, even if it wasn't like a money-making miner, you could use it to pay back some of the electrical costs that you incur by doing this thing. But those things output so much heat that you could replace almost any, your oven, you could replace anything in your life with a mining chip that would then harvest the heat into a usable fashion. And then you might think, well, you only use it for 10 seconds a day or four hours a month or something like that. But if everyone did that, the hash power on Earth would, I mean, would be logarithmic to the power of something higher than anything we've ever seen before, because everybody would sometimes be using some kind of a miner. Uh, but that's in the future when everyone, when we start to measure the U.S. dollar and Bitcoin, this kind of thing will be uh, I say when I do sound like a maxi, don't I? I guess I, that's where I'm going these days. I think I'm a Bitcoin maxi. I didn't know it until like this year, but I think that the more I say things like when, I just said that. I said when the US dollar is measured in Bitcoin. You know, call me wrong if I'm wrong. Who cares? Everybody's wrong. Galileo had to, you know, basically almost get killed over proposing that the earth was not the center of the universe. So, you know, whatever. Everybody else was wrong then. Maybe I'm him. Maybe we're him, I guess is what I mean to say. Anyway, if uh, I live in a world where my wife's hairdryer 
is a Bitcoin miner and our oven and dryers. I mean, that not only does that solve the electricity problem that everybody like my mom is like, but what about all the energy it uses? And I'm like, mom, stop using a dryer. Don't drive a car. Don't use a weed whacker. Like all these things use more energy, I think, than Bitcoin ever has historically, you know, an aggregate. So uh, if we're to be doing this anyway, we may as well replace some of the energy we're already expending and harvest that heat, right? I don't know. There's my pitch. I called it. If it happens, I called it. Uh, if it doesn't happen, forget I said it. Um, that being said, I would like to go around and grab some closing remarks. I think Jan just had to get on a phone call, so he probably won't, so we're not going to wait for him. But uh, Garrett, anything you'd like to close up with in terms of ownership and what you love about it or what you hate that hasn't happened? Uh, the more stuff you own, the more complicated life is, own less. <laughs> Dude, you're you're right. You're 100% right. I learned that this year, too. Uh, prison. Uh, nothing for me. I, I will say that uh, crypto started by being denominated in Bitcoin, and there is no reason why we can't go back to that. So I'll just leave it there. Yeah, no doubt. We might see a really high dominance this next cycle, and that might become something that's a bit more common. Uh, yes, why? Yeah, I don't know if I've got much to say. Just sitting in the shed, two a.m., smoking my spliff before before the sleep. Very interesting conversation. I love seeing your uh, your brain unfold, as Donny from the first conversation we had. It's it's uh, a rabbit hole, and I very much enjoy them. Uh, Self custody your shit if you want to. You don't have to, but don't give it to the people who are lending your shit because that's when it gets risky. If they're not lending it, then you're sweet. Let them have it. Uh, yeah, that's it. Enjoy life. And I guess that's what this all comes down to. Definitely do enjoy life. But I think that the overarching theme of this is if we don't trust banks, we need to become them. And the only way we can become them is through self-custody and digital identity and participating as market makers instead of as consumable products, which we sometimes are. So maybe life will be a blend of both forever. Garrett, please. I don't know if you've ever bumped into Alexandra, she does. Uh, I'm forgetting her last name right now, but anyway, she's an ex SEC lawyer. We we talked a bunch about how it, I, we really wish, and there is a fact to it. There actually is a total truth that we could come together and create like a crypto banks, like little ones all over the place, and we we could actually solve that problem. Like that's a that's a real. There's a real reality to to potentially solving that, but it is. Is going to be a you know it's really hard to get people together to do to do these things properly. Um, it's probably the biggest hurdle on top of the regulations. But um, no, it's really something I think is probably the biggest future key to crypto being continuously more stable and liquid. Is we and I do we all love making money right now? Imagine like putting your money in a bank that you're like co-opting that actually gives you some return because you're providing liquidity to the crypto market and you know you're not like giving money to crappy bank loans, you know, or whatever. So I don't know. I love that topic. I think it's totally real. It's just crazy. You know, maybe a, a good topic for later down the road. How, you know, how do we start our own banks? How do we decentralize the banking for crypto so people can actually go somewhere and get cash out? You know what I mean? As the participants, we are currently taken advantage of. But as the participants, maybe we ought to be rewarded. 
sometime in the future. And I think that uh, you're right. People won't do stuff without other people doing stuff first. So the more people who do it now, the safer it will look for everyone else to do it. And I think that's why we're all here. Ultimately, everybody who's in this space right now and probably everybody who turned on this podcast is at least interested in that concept. Uh, at a protocol level, I think that's what DeFi summer back in the day was all about when everybody was making tons of money, like farming, uh, yield farming things. I think that was all just a practice run for what could happen when you throw money into a lending pool and you do end up with money back. And that money is not a money that can be inflated out of existence. Maybe that money is Bitcoin or it's some other thing that is not Bitcoin. Because I'm not trying to sound like a maxi. I'm not trying to sell anybody. Anywho, if we're all good and everybody's done, thanks to Crypto Sapiens for helping us host this. Thanks to Bankless Dow for the support. And this has been Don't Say NFT, the show where Jan said NFT first. I'm Donnie Clutterbuck, and we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful night, everybody, or day. Adios. This has been another episode of Don't Say NFT, the show where we usually don't say NFT. Thanks again to Crypto Sapiens, Bankless Dow, and our sponsor, Goshen Network, building a Bitcoin L2. Have a great day, everybody.